0: What's up, everyone? I hope you are doing well and fantastic. It's been a few weeks, but we are back. Shawan and I are here for episode 214 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. We are catching up on a lot of different things to talk about. Before we jump into all that, Shawan, I want to let everybody know how you're doing, sir.
1: Uh, not too bad at all. Just staying busy. The two of the kids are starting college. I think uh, one of them is gonna take a semester or a year off, and then probably move back to Houston area and live with her, uh, her aunt and her aunt's wife, and kind of take a take a little bit of time off before she starts back in school.
0: Are you ready to um?
1: Are you ready for them to get out of the house? Yeah, I mean, when they, once you get 18, my interaction with them dropped off. Like I told them, y'all y'all are adults, dude. So I don't. I don't go back and forth with adults, so I just focus a lot more on the eight-year-old this year. Unless they needed my advice or needed money, I, I kind of let them let, let them operate a little bit. Well, man, I,
0: I I commend you for getting the kids out the house, man. That's a that's a big step for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, just got one more left, so. But uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, hopefully, they have a smooth transition. If not, then you know, have to do some uh, cleanup parenting. But it's all good as long as, as long as they're uh being productive. I'm, I'm
0: good with it. Well, we got a lot to talk about tonight, man. Let's go ahead and um get started and jump into this. Let's talk about UFC 265 first. We're going to hit that. We're going to talk about some boxing news as well and other combat sports um, content. But before we do, as always, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who's taking the time to listen to this show, whether it be our past episodes, listen to this live or whatever it may be. Uh, you can always find everything MMA ratings in a few different places. You can check us out at Ratings.net.com. That is our flagship for all of our content really lives right now. You can check us out on Instagram and Twitter, at MMA Ratings Net. Uh, the podcast, you can hit up at MMA Ratings on YouTube and also on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify. Check us out across all those places. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Myself, you hit me at underscore sports. Shawan Hughes, you can hit him up at blackjordanbrain on both Instagram and Twitter. So, Shawan, let's jump right into it. The UFC 265, where we saw Saru Khan become the interim UFC heavyweight championship, a champion, excuse me, where he defeated... Uh, Derek Willis, I think in the third round of their fight. I'm not really sure. I don't remember if it was second or third. But he picked up the victory in a fight that everybody everyone pretty much expected him to win. Before we jump into the storylines and what comes after this, let's talk about the fight itself. What did you see with the action that we got to
1: witness on Saturday? Yeah, um, to be honest, it's pretty much it's pretty much what everybody guessed. Derrick Lewis, I like Derek Lewis as a character. I like him even as a fighter in the sense that he's very smart. He plays to his strengths. He has an identity. He doesn't get too far away from it. He's got good physical tools. And as far as drama and intrigue and drawing attention and some kind of positive attention to the heavyweight division, he's very good for it. But for all that being said, he's a guy who who can who knows. He's a guy who can fight. He's not a guy who knows how to fight. And the funny thing is, I reposted an article I did uh, probably almost two years ago yeah two three years ago called ufc 226 fearsome five five reasons Derek lewis isn't isn't an elite and i posted it on twitter and i got like 60 70 clicks on it for people just checking out the article and the sad thing about it is the same issues Derek lewis had three years ago are the same issues he has as a fighter now and it just gets covered because he's in a division where most of the fighters are fatally flawed in one aspect. Either they don't have good cardio, they have good offense, but they don't have good defense, or they have decent offense and they don't have good defense, or they lack size, or they lack power, or they're old. A lot of the stuff Derek Lewis gets by on is being an opportunistic fighter who can hang in and who's got enough power where he can end a fight at any time if you make any mistake. And he's in a division full of fighters who are A, physically flawed, B, technically flawed, and B and C, prone to mistakes, which allows a guy with basically average fight skills to move up into the top three of a a division outside of heavyweight and light heavyweight. Can you think of any other division where a guy with Derek Lewis's fight skills, actual skills would be higher than maybe even 15?
0: Hmm. trying to sit here and think uh a division where someone not in the
1: ufc yeah exactly my point he basically can punch hard he's a he's a decent striker his power and his his the creativity he's kind of he's got good timing He's smart enough to be a counter puncher because he knows he's big and tough. He can take a certain amount of punishment and his counters, guys can't handle his counters. But if you look at the technique he uses, he doesn't double a triple jab. He does not throw a lot of leg kicks inside or outside? He doesn't have side kicks. He doesn't have any sort of spinning kicks. He doesn't have a really good, clean, consistent right hand or a counter left hook. He basically throws big bombs and big kicks when guys come forward and that scares them off. That's what he does. I've never seen a guy with his skill set in any other weight class do anything outside of regional MMA. But because of the nature of heavyweight MMA, Derrick Lewis has been able to go from a nobody to a guy who's considered top three in the world at the division without really any discernible actual skill set. He can't wrestle. He can't really strike. He can't really grapple. He basically hits hard and has good timing. And he's tough enough to take a beating to stay in long enough to land a bomb. That's it. So you had him against Gagne, and Gagne just outclassed him. Gagne just outworked him. He controlled him in range. He threw off his timing. He avoided the few big shots um, Lewis had. When Lewis was able to get in positions where he could clinch him, Lewis isn't good enough at clinches. He usually gets clinches because he's strong or his opponent is trying to clinch so they can muffle his power. But Derek Lewis doesn't have any intermediate skills. He's not good at boxing at range. He's not good at boxing at mid-range. He's not good at boxing and clinching on the inside. He's... His kicks are fairly predictable. So basically, Gagne just outclassed them the same way he does everybody else, because Gagne is not only a better athlete, he's a guy with an established skill set, Has and he has width in that skill set, he has depth in that skill set. So he constantly exposes the lack of seasoning and the lack of development these other fighters have in regards to their ability to get fights to the ground, their ability to survive fights on, on the feet. Most heavyweights get by on volume and power. That's all they get by on. There's not really many heavyweights who are actually good strikers in the history of heavyweight MMA. Very few, actually. So he exposes them because they're so far behind him technically on the feet. And even the ones who might be better grapplers or be better wrestlers, a lot of their success is based on their ability of being better athletes or being bigger and stronger he neutralizes that. So if you don't have an established skill set, you can't put him in a position where you can exploit him. You can only hope that your aggression and your volume is enough to overtake him. But when you have a guy with that kind of footwork, that kind of positioning, that range of striking skills, at least in comparison to other heavyweights, it's very unlikely that you're going to get him in the positions you need to put him in any danger. And that's why he's had so much success. Derek Lewis is just an example of the heavyweight division, a bunch of Big, strong, tough, but ultimately underskilled and underdeveloped as far as their cage IQ. And Cyril Ghani's style and his depth of skill in striking allows him to navigate and expose every single one of their shortcomings and do it in a manner that makes it look that they are it's embarrassing for them to be in the same cage as him. So it was, it was just a one-sided match between one guy who can fight and one guy who can fight and knows how to fight. That was the biggest difference.
0: So let me ask you this, then. With Soro Ghan now, he is interim heavyweight champion. The push right now is for him to face Francis Ngannou next. That's what Dana White is talking about more often than not. Is that the fight that we think we will see next, or do you think they're going to end up doing something else? Let's
1: start there. Um, I mean, I guess that'd be the biggest fight. I mean, Ngannou wants a money fight. If he can't get Jones, the biggest other fight in division would be Ganya and Ganya being undefeated and being a former former teammate of his who still coaches under the coach who in Gagne says cost him his first world title against Steve Miocic. That that has a storyline and that has interest. You have a guy who knocks everybody out with only a few hiccups and a guy who outclasses everybody with no hiccups. And they both came from the same camp. And they both came from the same country or started training in the same country. And now each of them has a heavyweight belt. That's a fight you can sell. Because whoever wins that fight is legitimately the best heavyweight in the world, decisively. Um, it's really the only fight out there. If, if they're not going to pay Jones, then there's no other fight out there for Ngannou to take outside of Gagne. And there's no other fight that Gagne could possibly want outside of uh, fighting Ngannou. What's the point of fighting anybody else at this stage? Fight me, Defend his interim title against Miocic? Defend his interim title against John Jones? That doesn't do any good. He might as well just go for the for Undisputed, because that just increases his 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 salary, his wallet. And that makes him look a lot better if he can beat Ngannou.
0: So with this, we have Francis Nganu as the champion right now, as the main champion. I'm, I mean, I'm still calling him the undisputed champion. I'm not really you know, dealing with the other bullshit that they got going on. What is a tougher matchup? Okay, you have John Jones and Cyril Gagne gone. Who is the tougher matchup right now on this on this day?
1: Well, I mean, athletically, it has to be Ngannou because he he is not just no a big, no no. So
0: I want I want to I want to pose this as Ngannou is the focal point. Who is the tougher matchup for him, Jones or Gagne?
1: I guess most people say Gagne. I, I still would say Jones because. Outside of knocking Jones out, I don't know what he would do against Jones. Um, he, he, can't, he hasn't shown the ability to wrestle or grapple. And people can tell me Jones' chin isn't what it isn't improving at heavyweight. But until I see him get it dinged, as far as I know, he can handle power. And he's, he's used to dealing with fighters as fast or faster than Garner. So Garner doesn't just finish him with a big strike of shots. Uh, it's very likely that Jones could walk him down and wear him down, and take down attempts, and eventually finish him. That's just my opinion, and it's a crazy one. Um, most people are going to say Gagne just because they saw that clip of them sparring. And to be quite honest, I, I talked to a couple MMA coaches about this. Gagne's style seems built to exploit the limitations of most heavyweight fighters. As in, they don't throw a lot of leg kicks. They don't really attack the body very much. And they don't have any sort of real consistent setup to set up their offense. His whole style is based, I mean, he holds his chin up kind of high, but you can't exploit that if you don't throw in combinations, if you don't set it up. Um, his legs are there. He uses kind of a slightly karate, but slightly kickboxing stance. You could attack his legs, but you'd, ha- you'd have to be a fighter who's trained that enough or attempting a leg kick would- wouldn't open you up for a counter. Because leg kicking against a guy who's a better striker than you is, A, he's just going to kick you back. And B, he might just counter you with the punches. So Gagne's whole style is built to exploit the many holes in MMA, heavyweight MMA. Most guys, they're really only good in one aspect of it. And they're not and that aspect is highly attribute-based. So he's, able, he's a step and a half ahead of them. And Gagne isn't going to wrestle him. And Ganu isn't going to grapple him. From what we've seen, Gagne, uh, Cyril, Cyril is a better grappler and better wrestler. The only thing that's going to happen is it's going to be on the feet. And in GANU, for as much as he's improved, he's not a particularly deep striker as far as his skill set. He throws a couple leg kicks, a couple body kicks, but he's basically throws one-twos, one body kick, leg kick, and a couple, you know, maybe uppercut, counter hook. He's, he doesn't have a really deep skill set. He basically overwhelms you with his athleticism. He gets you to bite, show your hand, because he's a counter fighter, and then he unloads and cleans you up off the counter. The only difference with somebody like Gagne is he's gone, excuse me. He's not only comparable to you athletically, so you don't have a huge physical advantage over him. He's a much more balanced and and developed striker as far as he has a structure he goes off of. It's just not timing and speed. It's positioning. It's angles. It's pivoting out. It's angling out. It's coming in behind a jab. It's fainting. It's attacking multiple levels. It's staying at distance. And once he's got your timing and rhythm, then slowly working his way inside. There's a process to what he does. And Ghanu's process is very shallow because – so many guys aren't athletic or aren't skilled enough that they can force him to go to a second or third layer so the depth of skill between them is dramatic it's dangerous just because is that good of an athlete and he's he's a, he's actually a sharper puncher than most heavyweights but if you look at it on on paper on a technical level he doesn't really seem to have any answers for somebody with Cyril's overall skill set much less his skill set on the feet
0: huh and, you know, something about Gagne that a lot of people aren't really talking about is his grappling. Because the first time I saw him win a fight was with a heel hook. Um, and knocked the guy, at least. That's the first time I saw him win one. And that kind of caught my eye. But I am interested in seeing him against both men. I feel like the fights themselves will not be exciting from start to finish. And I think that that's going to cause a problem for him long term with the uh, UFC, just because of how they book book guys. Um, I think that'll be an issue, and how fans respond to that. To that, but I do think he has the ability to beat both of those guys.
1: Yeah, a lot. A lot of the thing is, like I said, he's just so far ahead of guys, and guys are so far behind him. They can't. They can't make up the difference. Their their attacks are so predictable. It, and their their skill set lacks depth. They can't, they can't do anything to them. I mean, Derek Lewis missed If you, you watch the fight, Derek Lewis missed a bunch of bombs to the head, right? He threw a big right hand, big left hug, right? <laughs> missed it to the head left and right. How many times did you see Derek Lewis when he missed the left hand, load up the hip, hip, and go to the body shot with the right hand? I didn't see it. Right. How many times when he missed with the left hand and Gagne, Gagne didn't pivot out, he took a half step back your hip is loaded up. You could fire that leg kick and there's nothing he could have done about it based on his stance and the distance he moved. But at no point did he try an inside leg kick, outside leg kick. Even when he does that jumping kick, he just did the high kick. He could have went low, then went high. He could have showed, even if it wouldn't have resulted in a win, it would have showed that he was making the correct reads. Derek Lewis just kept doing the same thing. He made no adjustment. And I don't know if it's because his corner didn't see it, if Derek Lewis didn't see it, or if it's because he doesn't, He hasn't developed enough of a skill set to exploit when a guy takes away his initial line of offense. Once he took away the big right hand, the left hook, it was easy money for Gagne. He didn't throw any. Lewis doesn't throw inside leg kicks. He doesn't throw outside leg kicks. He doesn't throw kicks to the body. He doesn't throw punches to the body. He doesn't throw head-body-head combinations or head-body combinations. It's big right hand, left hook, that's it. There's no jabbing your way in. There's no jabbing your way out. You got a guy who's basically going to use two weapons and neither one of those weapons is world class. It's like if you you grapple the guy and the guy basically has a double leg takedown, which he's OK at, and he can jump guard at, which he's OK at. You're going to shut that down and kill that guy because he's not good enough at either one of those things to threaten you. And he, and he doesn't have a backup set of skills to test you if, in case you get lazy or in case you give him an opening. He, he can't grapple off his back. So when he jumps guard, he's done. And if he, he can't grapple his back, so if you counter, you stuff him, and put him on his back, he's done again. So essentially, you take two weapons away, and he, it's a wrap for him. And that's the same thing that happened to Derek Lewis. There was no body punching. There was no leg kicking. He had the opportunities to do so. He would have caught Cyril off guard if he would have done so, because nobody's seen Derek Lewis do a, a, a concentrated body attack, a concentrated punch-kick combination attack. Nobody's seen that. There's no way to prepare for that it would have given him a round and a half of a relief and then opened up the right hand of the left hook again, because now surreal has four things to look out for, but at no point their clue even attempt to do that. It just bomb, bomb, miss bomb, bomb, miss bomb, bomb, miss counter bomb, bomb, miss counter. Then as he started getting tired, leg kick, leg kick, leg kick. And then he turned it on him because he had nothing else past that big right hand and that left hook and that high kick, nothing else. And after being in the UFC for five, six, seven years, you haven't added at least a secondary approach to what you're doing just in case the first doesn't work, it's inexcusable. But that's a heavyweight division. You can get by on that nonsense. There's no other division you can get by on in a big right hand and think you're getting any further than maybe 15 to the 13. He got all the way to number two with no grappling skills, no wrestling skills, and nothing more than a head kick, a big right hand, and a left hook.
0: I mean, you're not wrong there, sir, at all there. Um, let me ask you this question before we move on. What fight is a bigger payday for Ngannou, Jones or Gagne?
1: Hey, one more thing before I answer this question. When uh, You know when Gagne fought Rosenstruck? Yeah. Everybody said that was really boring. You know why that was boring? The same reason that if you faced a grappler who was comparable, who, who had similar experiences to you, and was maybe not good enough to hurt you, but good enough to make you work, it'd be a boring grappling match because you couldn't just dominate position, right? You couldn't just get a takedown left and right. You couldn't just hold him left and right. You couldn't just finish him. You have to work the submission. He might squirt out. You might get him down. He might squeeze out. Because Rosenstruck has a deep enough skill set striking that Gagne couldn't take any chances. And Rosenstruck has a counter-based style with some depth to it. So he's not going to provide you the openings. You're just not going to find your rhythm because anytime he can make you pay for that. Lewis and the rest of these guys may look exciting because they don't have a depth of skill. So he can, he can look good against them because they can only do one thing and he can figure that out and then dismantle them. So if you have a good enough skill set, he'll become boring again because he doesn't have the mentality to go looking for a finish. He's going to be safety first all the time. He finished against, he beat the hell out of Volkov and he looked good against Lewis because once he realized there was no threat, he could turn it on. Against a better set of fighter, even against a Jones, even against a Rosenstruck, he'd have to think a little bit And if there's any danger at all, he's not taking any chances. But as far as the biggest fight for money-wise for Ngannou, it's still Jones. That's the biggest fight. I don't care what Gon. I don't know what Gon have to do, but he doesn't have the cachet. He doesn't have the familiarity with fans, and he doesn't have the consistent success over the period of time that says that fans should care about him as much. Yeah, he's on a big, hot, long streak, but part of a big fight, money fight is familiarity. It's like why Conor made such a big jump after Aldo. It wasn't because Connor had done, had was such a streaking star that was part of it. The second part was he he had beaten an extended, consistent, very dominant champion. The same way Ronda Rousey got that bump from beating Misha Tate. Misha Tate was so familiar with MMA fans when she beat her. If she didn't fight Misha, she never takes that rocket ship to the top. Those two fights with Misha are essentially what separated her from everybody else. If she just would have fought a Liz Carmouche, that wouldn't cut it. Marla, Marla's Koonin, that ain't get that ain't breaking records. Misha Tate helped her break those records. Just like um uh, Francis Ngannou needed um will need John Jones to break their records, just like Steve Amyochic needed DC to really make money because DC could sell. DC had interest. You know, it's 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 part of the combination of being familiar with fans and being familiar with the casual fan. So John Jones is still the biggest money fight, even if he's not necessarily the, the most dangerous fight, and he'd probably be the most dangerous one because he'll take chances, he's still the biggest money fight.
0: Okay, okay. Let's let's look at the rest of uh, UFC 265. Where man, Jose Aldo looked very very good in the co-main event there. I guess um, was it Pedro Munoz he fought, but yes, he sir. extremely good in that fight. What did you see from Aldo that really cemented the fact that he is still able to go at this time in his career?
1: Um, I have to shout out host the Heavy Hands. And a uh, combat sports analyst, writer, and podcaster, Connor Rebush from the Heavy Hands podcast, um, who who is one of the best scouts and analysts as far as working with fighters and helping them come up with game plans. I've talked to many world-class camps. They have always given him credit. And just as a side note, he's seen me spar before, and he's given me the blessing of calling me crafty in my skill set and style. So anybody knows Connor Rebush, they know he's crafty. That means you can go. Take that as you may. Take that as you may. He said that about me, so take that as you may. But um, the biggest thing to separates Aldo is, is his defense. People keep forgetting everybody can do damage once you get to a certain level. What separates fighters, and I'm thinking about doing an article on this, what separates the very best, most dominant fighters in every division is their ability to take things away from their opponent. Your opponent's having success with the jab you take that away. The leg kicks are working, you take that away. The throwing combinations, you take that away. They're pressuring you, you take that away. That's what has allowed him to be successful. He has defensive awareness that allows him to maximize his cardio, maximize the athleticism he has left, and maximize his power because he's hitting you with three to five shots and you're hitting him with one, one to two. That's going to be a losing proposition for everybody except for guys like Max Holloway who can just up their rank, who can ramp up their volume and keep going and never fade, or Alexander Volkovsky, who can do a combination of volume and physicality and not get worn down. At some point, Pedro was having success with him, pressuring and putting some combinations, but Aldo started using his jab, not just offensively, but defensively. And he's using his positioning to take away the calf kicks and to change up his entries and use feints to create openings, which is also defensively because it makes Pedro. It makes Pedro holster his shots because he doesn't want to open up because now he's getting countered. Now he doesn't know what to re- when to punch because the feint is making him hesitate, which cuts his offense in half. So Aldo's still operating at 100% offense, 90% offense, and now Pedro went from 100% offense to now to 60%. 30% is a huge hit to take as far as your, your volume, your activity, and your intensity. Imagine if you're grappling somebody and they go 100%, then you start shutting them down, now they're down to 60. But you're still at 90 you're going to kill that guy. You're finishing him in the next 30 seconds to a minute because you've almost cut down his whole offensive pressure activity techniques by almost almost 50%. He's done. It's over. And that's been the difference. And if you look at all the great fighters, Anderson Silva broke records, right, with his defenses. He wasn't technically defensively sound, but he was with regards to feel and reaction time and ability to read an offense, GSP wasn't super slick, but he had that defensive jab and that and that, that uh, reactive takedown. Jose Aldo, another guy with great defense. All the, Demetrius Johnson, he was a guy who could take things away from you. All the guys with long reigns of championships were immaculate, if very good, if not immaculately skilled or high IQ defensive fighters. And that's what allowed them to navigate bigger punchers, younger fighters, busier fighters, better conditioned fighters, because they could, You could have success early, but you wouldn't continue to have success with that same weapon. You'd have to have skills from one to five, and most fighters only have skills from one to two. You take those two things away, now it's hard to practice. And that's exactly what happened. He took a lead. Pedro Mina started coming on, putting some volume, putting some pressure. Aldo makes an adjustment. Pedro has nothing else to do. Pedro can't stop Aldo's jab. He can't stop the leg kicks. He can't read the feints. He can't close the distance. He can't stop the counter hook. He can't start the right hand. He can't stop anything. Aldo's picking what he wants. And Aldo's making Pedro pick from what he has less. Listen to the difference I said there. Aldo's choosing whatever he wants. Pedro's choosing from whatever he has left, that Aldo has left him. He took away his five favorite toys, left them with two he hates. Well, he ain't playing with those. That's what he's got to pick from. And he ain't very good at those two. Hmm. Now, with what we saw out of Aldo
0: on, on Saturday, is this Aldo capable of one
1: last title run? Well, first before, before we get to that, I got to say one thing. I'm getting tired of being told how good Sean O'Malley is. Sean O'Malley is beating up on regional fighters and guys who've been knocked out two or three times in their last two or three fights. And he's getting performance bonuses for knocking out guys who are shopworn, Thomas Almeida. Who's the other guy? Uh, I forgot his name. He used to be a WEC guy. He knocked him out, knocked out some regional fighters. Jose Aldo is 5-5, five and five, fighting the very best in two divisions and giving a good account of himself in every single opportunity. But they consider Sean O'Malley to be better and higher ranked than him? Just a disrespect. I don't think so. He's ranked higher. I think he's ranked higher. He's ranked higher. I saw Sean
0: O'Malley wasn't even ranked. Hold on. Bantamweight? I, th- I thought he was ranked high. Maybe I'm wrong. No, Jose Aldo is five.
1: Sean O'Malley isn't ranked at all. Okay, thank God. Okay, there you go. Sorry. But to the casual fan, Sean O'Malley is some kind of monster, and Jose Aldo is considered washed. When Jose Aldo has not lost to one average fighter yet, he hasn't even been tested by one average fighter. He's only been tested by the best. Only the best has beaten him. Um. I there think was a Al- stat
0: that um, came out on, I think, Leading into Saturday's fight, that since his fight with Conor McGregor, he is 5-5, five and five, he being Jose Algo. Those five losses, one is to Peter Yan, two are to um, Max Holloway.
1: And who are the others, two? Peter Yan, Max Holloway, Volkanovsky, and uh, Marlon Moraes. Marlon Rice, yes. Volkovski beat him too. Yep. Yeah. So look at that.
0: That yep. run of five names is, I would honestly say, might be just as tough, if not tougher, than the fight than the names Conor McGregor has
1: fought since that fight. Yeah. No. I and and the funny thing is, both guys, even though clearly Aldo is doing better. Both of these guys have only lost to the very best. They're not losing to Bobby Greens and Sean O'Malley's and, and Aljamain Sterling's and all this. They're losing to the peak of the best. Connor lost to the number one, number two lightweight. Two guys who might be number one and number two or top five lightweights of all time. Jose Aldo lost to two of the best featherweights of all time. And he lost to, at the time, a guy who was ranked top five in a weight. So, I mean, like, who are they losing? Not losing to nobodies. Any most people lose to the guys they lose to. They don't lose to the guys that other people lose to. They only lose to the guys who usually beat everybody. But back on topic, I think Jose Aldo clearly can make a run. It the the, the main thing is he's got the defensive soundness, the strategic awareness, and since he's been with the same camp, he's with a corner that knows knows how to, knows how to push him, knows how to motivate him knows how to manage him perfectly because they've been with him whole career. And most of all, like I said, he's disciplined and he's defensively sound. Corey Sanhagen, great dynamic athlete, could land something big on Jose Aldo, but it's just as likely Corey Sanhagen spinning back fists, spinning elbows, spinning back kicks himself into a decision lost against him. Um, Marlon Marais wouldn't beat Jose Aldo in a second fight. I don't know. I mean, Peter Yan still has a pretty good shot. I think Jose Aldo would beat the hell out of H- Aljamain Sterling. I don't think Aljamain Sterling beats beats Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo might stop Aljamain Ster- Sterling inside of inside of four rounds. I really believe that. Um, the only person who I say might really give him a problem, T.J. Dillashaw. If Dillashaw's chin holds up, then he could probably beat Aldo because he's not going to get tired. He's going to keep on throwing volume. He's going to keep on pressure. He's going to keep on leaning on him. But at the same instance, Aldo's not gonna let him off the hook like Sanhagen was with spinning elbows and spinning back this. Aldo's gonna put a jab, leg kicks, he's gonna pivot, he's gonna pivot out, he's gonna angle out and walk TJ Dillashaw into all sorts of shots. And if Sanhagen is rocking him and putting him on his heels and putting him on his putting him on his back or putting him on his knees, then Aldo might clean him up and knock him out. So anybody in the top five, I say Aldo's a live dog against because of his defensive awareness and the fact that he can be so He can control the pace with his defense and his footwork, and he can punish you for every offensive move you make with his jab and his counter-punching. His his jab is world-class. His counter-punching is world-class. His defense is world-class. You have to be a special fighter to to put a combination on Jose Aldo consistently. One, you've got to be highly skilled, or you just have to be super tough because there's a price for pushing Jose Aldo. Chad Mendes learned that price. Even Peter Yan learned that price. Pedro Munoz learned that price. There's a price. even when Max Holloway beat Jose Aldo twice. People forget that first round and a half, Jose Aldo was kicking the shit out of Max Holloway. There's a price to get to Jose Aldo. And most of them don't want to pay it, and the rest of them can't afford to pay it consistently. They can, they can afford to get it. They can't afford to maintain it. It's like a luxury car. You can afford to land a couple shots on him. You can't afford to keep on landing those shots on him. You can't afford the maintenance. The price is going to cost for how much damage he's doing you every time you do that. So Jose Aldo is a very live dog. He puts another win or two together. Uh, He's in the title contention right now. He beats Dominic Cruz. I don't know who he doesn't beat. Casey Kenney, Dominic Cruz, Aljamain Sterling. He beats all his guys. Sean O'Malley, he might kill Sean O'Malley. Who else? I mean, outside of Peter Yan and T.D. Dillashaw, I think he's, I think those are both a 50 50 fight with Dillashaw, 60 40 with Yan. But everybody else, at best, is 60 40. At best, maybe 50 50. But Jose Aldo is a live dog against anybody, and most of the guys in the top 10, he beats them and beats them easy.
0: Hearing you say that makes me think of that, makes me think of the song that Justin Poirier walks out to, Pays the Cost to Be the Boss by James Brown. Yep. Like, if you're going to beat Jose Aldo, you're going to have to beat that man, and you're going to pay for it
1: along the way. Yeah. One, one last thing. This And it's, it's like I said with the defense, most fighters, and you know this, you know this because you work with fighters and you used to fight. You understand this. It's the same thing with grappling. Most guys don't learn how to be defensively sound, defending off their back, defending takedowns, defending submissions, working their way out of them. They don't really focus that. They focus on getting a submission, getting a takedown, controlling position, as if they're going to be the only one dictating terms in a fight. They don't work on defense, and defense is one of the hardest things to pick up late in your career. If you've never been defensively sound, by the time you figure out, I I need to pay attention to my defense, you've taken so many beatings, your chin can't take anything. Gray Maynard, in his last three fights in UFC, was actually defensively sound, but his chin was gone. He he depended on it too long. He had nothing left, so even when he's fighting textbook defense, the minute he gets clipped at all, he's done. So, guys, you can't figure out defense late. Defense is something that will give you some – rough spots earlier because it takes a while for you to learn the timing and the techniques, but it's something that will extend your career because it allows you to navigate a loss of speed, a loss of power, and a lot, loss of durability. So when these guys lose their chins and their athleticism, they're garbage. They don't know how to get away from shots. They don't know how to slip shots. They don't know how to control you with pains and footwork, and that's why they get exposed the minute they lose a the half a step. Jose Aldo's lost a whole two steps, and he's still world-class at another weight class with a bigger weight cut. Do you know how good that makes this man?
0: Mm-hmm. It really makes him um ex, ex, exceptional. Exceptional, yes. Vicente Luque with a big, big victory over Michael Ocasa and the way he finished really kind of counts a lot to that conversation. Is Vicente Luque next up for the 175 pound title?
1: I mean, they're running through. They're running through contenders. He's either going to have to, maybe they put him in with a Leon Edwards, because Leon Edwards is the only guy who has a, I guess, justifiable argument. Leon Edwards, possibly. Um, and that Gilbert Burns already said he's not going to fight him. So it's basically Leon Edwards, again, Leon Edwards, Gilbert Burns, and uh, I guess Vicente Luque, who have the best opportunities to move forward. And uh, he's an exciting fire, fighting. He's had two very exciting wins back to back. And while i don't i wouldn't favor him over the champion it is an interesting matchup cuz he can punish him on the feet i don't think his cardio holds up but he can punish him on the feet and he's a good enough grappler where even if Usman gets a takedown he he can hit a scramble and, and snatch submission he's he, he's that good an athlete and he's at least opportuni- opportunistic enough as a grappler to finish and do so decisively so um he can't be more than maybe a fight off he 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 could be next, or maybe he's a fight off. He's probably going to have to fight at least one more time. They'll probably put him against uh, Leon Edwards. I, I didn't expect him to win that fight, but I was uh, very impressed by how he won it and how decisively he won it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no questions asked. I, that is kind of what caught me as well, too. I wasn't expecting him to submit kiss and not like that.
1: Yeah, kiss, kiss is a very... is MMA-wise, he's a very good grappler. He is a very good grappler. I I would not have bet anything to say that Vicente would have finished him by by submission? Nope, sorry. I, I call a lot of things. I did not call that. Oh, Last I, who, thing. Well, we got more have? talking, oh, yeah, talking go ahead. points. Huh? Oh, go ahead, go ahead.
0: We got two more talking points in reference to UFC 265. Tisha Torres picks up a big win against Amanda, um, not Amanda, Angela. There were some great, different wrinkles to Angela Hill's game, but... Uh, it it wasn't kind of how I figured it was gonna go that she couldn't deal with the overwhelming pressure that Tisha Torres was gonna bring to the fight.
1: Um, I'm curious. I'm curious because because you're a very smart fight fan. You used to coach. Uh, what are these wrinkles that you saw from 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 his Hill? Cause I mean, if you look back at the first time Tisha
0: Torres fought Angela Hill, Tisha won off of her wrestling. She was able to take Hill down. Multiple times and secure the positions, and Hill will get up. All the takedowns in this fight came from Angela Hill. She she took her down three times. She advanced positions. She advanced in the arm belly. She advanced to um, mount. And I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she's been training with. You know who Victoria Anthony is? She is a. She was on the Olympic wrestling team in 2000 and. Uh, What was the last one in Rio 2016? Yeah, she was on that. Victoria Anthony was on that Olympic team. And Angela Hill's been training with her and Jenna Bishop. Jenna Bishop is a um, ADCC level uh, grappler who was making her MMA debut. And if you look at what they've been training, especially that Uchimada kind of takedown off of the fence, Hill was able to hit that a few times. So her wrestling and grappling have gotten better in that space, but she wasn't able to put it all together.
1: Okay, from the first fight, yeah, I I could have sworn Teacher took took Hill down once or twice. I could have sworn I saw that. Maybe I didn't. In the, in the second fight, yes.
0: Uh, let's check.
1: I, I want to say she took down at least once. But my my biggest issue while you're checking on this, my biggest issue with Angela Hill isn't that I don't think she can wrestle. To be quite honest, before she started working with these girls, based on her physicality and how she works from the clinch. I don't know why Angela Hill doesn't take more girls down in the first place. She's physically stronger than most of them. And the fact that she dominates and clinches with knees and control basically sets her up perfectly to, if nothing else, sweep a leg and throw them or drag, snap down and drag them. It's not like wrestle before. She physically is much stronger and much more conditioned than a lot of the girls she's. I don't know why she hasn't taken it upon herself to be more of an offensive threat in the first place. Um, that seems to me like a, it's an improvement, but it's the most obvious improvement because she just hasn't e- even really made a consistent attempt to be an offensive grappler or wrestler for the majority of her career, to be quite honest. Well, concerns. Yeah, she really
0: hasn't. Um, and to answer your question, Angela Hill had takedowns in rounds one and two, Tisha had one in
1: round three. My whole thing, my whole thing issue with Angela Hill is this. If you will use takedowns which you're striking and, and Taurus tried more than one takedown, she only got one, but she tried a lot. Angela Hill is so deathly afraid of being taken down and controlled that she will throw less volume on the feet. She won't counter because she's afraid if she misses, you got a reactive takedown. She won't lead because she's afraid she'll give up her hips and she doesn't like to, she won't get into heavy exchanges because she's afraid in the middle of exchange, you'll drop down and take take her down. And so as a result, on the feet. She doesn't throw as much as I would like her to throw, and even defensively, her whole defense, her defense is kind of like it's kind of Dominic Cruzish-like. But the thing is, previous to this new incantation of her, she never mixed in takedowns, so she'd be she'd be able to slip or block a couple of shots, but she wouldn't be in position to counter because Dominic Cruz's defensive footwork takes you out of position to counter unless you're countering with a takedown. Now that Angela Hill is in, incorporating takedowns into it. Their defensive move she makes sets her up to get clinches, get takedowns, get tie-ups, whatever you want to call it. But the fact of the matter is, as long as you're mixing in takedowns into your offense, Angela Hill has seems to have no faith in her ability to finish from the ground on her back or to scramble to get back up. And that's why she cuts down her offense, and you can essentially outwork her. Michelle Waterson, after she controlled her for that round, that fight was 50-50 at best for Angela Hill because now she didn't want to throw with any power or any combination because she was afraid of being taken down and controlled again. It, it's been a common theme with her. So it, th- this theme continued because Tisha Torres did, wasn't successful takedowns, but she kept attempting and kept throwing her strikes off failed takedown attempts or off fakes for takedowns. And Hill did not open up or counter heavily because she did not want to get taken down again. And I don't know if it's because she's afraid of getting tired or she's just afraid of getting worked over or she's afraid of getting controlled. But her work on the feet was... Not half as much as Torres. And I understand Torres throws a lot of volume, but if Hill throws, you know, maybe a two to three punch combination hard consistently, she could find Tisha Torres. Tisha Torres' defense isn't really great. But she throws so much that when you get into these extended exchanges of takedowns attempts for her. Angela Hill wanted to minimize takedown attempts by minimizing her strikes and hopefully being able to win with her own takedowns and be able to advance position. But she wasn't able to control her for the entirety of rounds, and she never did enough damage to make up for the fact that she was getting beat 4-1 to one on the feet. So while there's an improvement, to me it was an obvious one, one I don't know why she didn't do at least two or three years ago, and she still has the biggest problem of she gets so defensively – she gets so defensive as soon as the takedown threat is there. As good as a striker as I'm told she is, she, she drops down by 50% the minute she realizes you're going to actively try to take her down because she doesn't want to open herself up to it. And I don't understand how you are in a sport like mixed martial arts, and you are deathly afraid of being taken down. You essentially take off half your offense, because you can't throw certain kicks, punches, or use certain setups, because they're going to create takedown opportunities. So
0: there's one thing we don't talk about Angela
1: Hill about with Angela Hill enough.
0: I think we really should. Um, She's 38 years old.
1: How much is that? Doesn't look a day over 28.
0: She doesn't. I mean, the woman does not age whatsoever. She doesn't even scar, it looks like, after her fight. She does not age. She will never age. She's 38 years old. How much is that playing? How Because it looked like she looked a little bit slower on Saturday. How much is that playing into
1: what we see from her fight in and fight out? I think that's part of it. I think she has lost a step or two. She's obviously still a better athlete than a lot of gir- girls, but she has lost a step or two. And then also when you factor in the fact that now she's, when you make a takedown threat once again, she gets real hesitant to fire off, which means whatever speed she has left, whatever explosion she has left, she's reining it in because she doesn't want to subject herself to being tied up against a cage or dragged down on the ground. So she hinders herself also because of uh, the, te- the hole in her game. Technically, strategically, it-, it hinders her. It makes her opponent's job easier. Technically, it hinders her. It makes her opponent job easier. But yes, she's no longer the dominant athlete. She was a dominant athlete maybe two years ago, and she couldn't put two wins together to save her life. And now, she's once again, she's becoming a better fighter. She's fighting smarter. She's selling a better array of skills. But now, she doesn't have the physical tools. If she would have had this two years ago, she takes someone down, she'd probably just run them over. But now, she doesn't have those physical tools anymore. So of who she was as a fighter, and certain things that she that used to be would be kill positions for her now are no longer kill positions. The certain things she could dominate in clinches and physically control people she can't do that anymore, and she's not going to be able to do that much much moving forward. So um, I like the growth from her, but it's so late in her career. I don't I don't know if it's enough to turn anything around. And even at her peak, she was never great, and now she's a step and a half slower. Still looks like still looks like a million dollars. But she she no longer is a million dollar athlete.
0: Very true. Very true,
1: there, sir. Um, is, is there anything IOC
0: 265 you want to talk about before we move on?
1: Nah, I think that's it. All right. Good stuff.
0: We got some interesting news from boxing. I think yesterday the news dropped, but Earl Spence is out against Manny Pacquiao due to an eye injury. And I can't, your genius, you guess, is yep. in instead. He's a Cuban fighter. What do we know about him, and what should we be prepared for with this fight in Pacquiao?
1: Uh, he's tough. He's physically strong. He's got a good base of skills, fundamentally. He hasn't beaten a named fighter as of yet, but he's given every elite or named fighter he's faced a good uh, a good contest. He's athletic. He's fairly young. He's durable. And he, he's, a, he's an elite fighter. Maybe he's not. I won't say elite. He's world-class. Maybe he's not elite. He hasn't beaten a guy who's ahead of him, so I can't say he's elite yet. He's a true test. Successfully for a guy like Manny Pacquiao, who's not at his peak anymore, given his age and given his activity, this is a tough fight. It's it's not... I would still favor Manny, but it's not an open and shut case. I think if Manny wins it, it's going to be based on his work rate and his movement. Um, Ugas is very well-conditioned. He's very strong, and, and he's not going to just... He's not a brawler... He's kind of a more of a awkward, technical, but physical fighter. It's nothing Manny Pacquiao hasn't seen, but if Manny's cardio doesn't hold up, if Manny's mentality wanes because he's not facing the boogeyman of the division, then Ugas has a chance to maybe eke out a decision or maybe just out-hustle Manny. I just don't think it's very likely. But he's a very tough challenger. Beating Keith Thurman one year and beating – I can't say his name. Say his name again so I can get it. Let me look at it again. Hold on. Um, Eugenius Eugas. Genius Ugas Beating him and beating Thurman back-to-back is probably one of the better resumes in the welterweight division recently because anybody who's got a better one has probably fought Errol Spence. Danny, Danny Garcia in his last two fights would have a better one, but that's because he fought Errol Spence. Sean Sporter would have a, a better one but cuz he fought Errol Spence but outside of that um, he's still facing a top top 10ish top 7 type guy and given the fact that he's 42 and he's not putting the fight off and he's continued with the fight that tells you that Manny Pacquiao either a needs the money or b he just wants to be great and um uh, beating Ugas is going to be another feather in his cap and it's going to give a lot of other people ammunition to say hey this guy is still is better than Floyd maybe Floyd was better at his peak but Manny's peak has lasted over Seven, eight weight classes in over twenty something years, and he might just be like the LeBron James compared to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan never lost a title fight, a title, a title championship run in a playoffs. But in the same instance, LeBron is considered better because of his longevity and how many wins and how many statistics he's put up as a result of fighting for so long through so many, uh, through so many games, and being positioned to win so many championships. He's winning on length and numbers instead of winning on peak performance. So um this is this is still a big fight for uh this is a big fight for Manny. It's it's not a pay-per-view fight. It is not that and um it's not the challenge expenses, but I don't want anybody to think that Ugas is not a legitimate challenger. He's not the most dynamic. He's not the prettiest fighter but he is a world class fighter and Manny beating him does mean something. It does carry weight. So the biggest, yeah, concern, I, is the biggest concern is what happens to Central.
0: I was surprised they found someone on such short notice. I mean, it's about what 11 days out. Is that did, did that surprise you, or, or do you think that they did it just to save the fight?
1: They just did it to save the fight. They're hoping that Manny Pacquiao fighting a world-class younger guy. Because Manny Pacquiao can still sell. I think Manny Pacquiao did a half a million against Adrian Broner. Ugas isn't as known as Broner. But Manny Pacquiao defending his title, taking another step to bossing immortality, probably is going to get should get them. You know, it's a tough fight. It's a good fight. It might get them another half a million, maybe three three hundred fifty, three hundred seventy five, four hundred thousand. It's still going to generate pay per view sales. It'll still be higher up in the pay per view sales, and they don't want to they don't want to waste a fight with Manny because you don't know how much longer you're going to have him. Uh, so them bringing up Ugas because Ugas was fighting somebody, but That's not a big fight. Ugas wants a big fight. He wants a named guy. He's on weight. He's on the same card. Just move him up. Now, if Keith Thurman would have been in shape and ready to fight, they might have put... Mikey Garcia would have been in shape and ready to fight. They might have put him in. Hell, if Danny Garcia was in shape and ready to fight, they might have put him in. But none of these guys is ready to go at the welterweight limit. So they had to go with the guy who is, one, world ranked, world class, and two, ready to fight. 100%. 100%. He was going to fight on that same night anyway, so he's peaking around the same time either way. And we're
0: going to stick with boxing for the next topic. Um, we are going to see Anderson Silva and Tito Ortiz box on Triller. Juan, what the hell is happening here?
1: Well, I get why Anderson's doing it. It's a, it's a money fight. Tito's going to talk some trash. Tito still has some cachet. He's got some popularity, and um, I mean, after beating—I mean, after beating uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., you know, it's another payday. And to be quite honest, I don't see how Tito Ortiz wins this. He—he he wasn't even a marginal boxer in MMA. I have no idea how he wins this fight. He can't box. I mean, he could clinch and clutch his way, and maybe Anderson will showboat his way, and they go to a decision. With him actually beating Anderson Silva in a boxing match, I don't know that there's many MMA fighters from any weight class, from welterweight to middleweight to light heavyweight to heavyweight, who I would actually bet against to beat Anderson Silva in a straight up boxing match. I can't I can't name I'm sorry, I can't name too many at all. Anderson, as far as mixed martial art, is one of the maybe maybe the most unique as far as he's got idiosyncratic technique and an approach, but as far as being able to be functionally effective and having trained boxing and consistently sparring boxers and working on his boxing technique and his feel and his savvy, there's like maybe two or three other guys in the UFC who's put that kind of work in. And Tito's going to, I hope he's, get paid, he's getting paid well because he's going to get embarrassed and he's going to get beat up unless Anderson's chin is completely gone. And the first time he touches him. Anderson falls over. Otherwise, I don't see how Tito wins this. Because Julio Cesar Chavez hit him clean a couple times. hit him to the body with some shots. He hit him to the head with some shots. Anderson was still there. So I don't see this being very competitive. And I just hope Tito is paid. Uh, I hope Tito is paid very well for this, for this, for this, this whooping and this embarrassment he's going to get.
0: Yeah, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it just to see him get his ass kicked. And or him being Tito Ortiz getting his ass kicked, especially after uh, him being put out of the, um, the city council position he held in Huntington Beach. Um, last topic I wanted to cover real quick: Jacare Sosa retired, um, former strike force champion, former title contender for uh, the UFC. I don't think he ever fought for the. But did he fight for the title? No. No, he never fought. So he's among the guys, the best guys who never won a UFC title, in my opinion. What are some of your thoughts about Jacare's place in MMA history?
1: Uh, I mean, even without the UFC title win, I consider him to be one of the the better middleweights of his time. Uh, one of the one of the one of the the uh, world class. He's one of the world class grapplers who kind of started the trend of reinvigorated the trend of world-class grapplers going in because for a while world-class grapplers dominated then they started losing and they started losing a lot and they kind of you didn't hear as much noise when a ADC champion or no-gi champion came in because they weren't really doing the damage they used to do he was part of that resurgence where you had not just highly skilled grapplers but physically imposing physically dominant grapplers coming in and not just showing their grappling chops but also showing and ability to, to, to hold their own physically in striking exchanges. And that's he kind of w- was part of that turn in mixed martial arts. Um, I never thought he was the most technical fighter. He was a great athlete, great size, great athleticism, great explosiveness. And uh, I, I, for, for his time division, I consider him, for his period of fighting, I would consider him a top five, top seven type middleweight, one of the best middleweights to never win a title, right there with uh, um, Romero. Yo Romero. Um, he carried himself a class. I f I I don't recall him ever getting caught cheating or any sort of scandal as far as PDs. And I don't know that anybody ever had an easy night against him. And and he's beaten his more he's beaten his fair share of ranked fighters. So I would definitely consider him one of the probably one of the best middleweights of all time. Definitely considering he was a former world champion and he had beaten a lot of high level ranked fighters. I would consider him one of the better middleweights of all time. And it's sad that he never was able to win the fight that would get him the opportunity to fight for the title, especially in his prime. The later stages versions we saw of Jacare, without his athleticism, some of the technical limitations kind of got exposed a little bit. I really would have liked to see what would happened if he would have got to the UFC maybe a year or two earlier and had a little bit more time to readjust, to reconfigure, and to reinstall a couple of things to see how he would move forward. Because by the time he started making those changes, he was already on the decline, and he didn't have much margin for error in, in fights.
0: Yeah, I'm, one of those, I'm on the same boat as you. Um, I think he could have been champion um, had he been there a little bit earlier. He is probably one of the best grapplers that ever set foot in the sport of MMA. There's some other good names out there, too, as well. Um, but I've always been a fan favorite of him.
1: Yeah, he, like I said, I, I didn't I wasn't the greatest fan of his, but I, I felt that I feel that in hindsight, people who only saw him in the last couple of years, they don't understand how good and how physically dominant he was. Like nobody walked through him, nobody had an easy night with him. He was capable of giving anybody the business on any given night, and he just was never able to put it together to get in position to challenge for that title fight. And um, you know, I, I respect everything he did as a fighter, but he was never he was he's essentially more or less kind of a Uriah Faber of the middleweight division, more or less. Good stuff there, sir. So um, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on this week? Um, I'm really thinking about doing an article, uh, breaking down, doing something like a a defense wins championships and kind of like giving a more extended view of the conversation we had earlier where I explained how certain champions – what separated them was their ability to be defensive, and that's what helped them not just win titles, but have long title reigns. Not just in the obvious of I slip punches, I block punches, but being able to use certain techniques or certain approaches to take things away from their opponent while, while their opponent was unable to take certain things away from them, i.e. you're working at 100%, now they're, they, maybe one or two things doesn't work for you. So you're now you're at 90%, but you took down 50% of their work. So it's 50% against 90%. Who's going to win that fight nine times out of 10? 90% against 50. 90% is going to win that. So just maybe go a little bit in depth and explain to people why people say defense wins championships in all sports and why it even applies to combat sports and all sorts of combat sports, kickboxing, boxing. The guys who have really, really long reigns, they weren't just dynamic offensive fighters or skillful offensive fighters. They were able to take things away from guys using their defense. Floyd Mayweather, Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Robinson, even Mike Tyson. He had good defense, given how dynamic he was offensively. And that's what helped him be as dominant as he was. And the same thing you see in kickboxing, same thing you see in um mixed martial arts. So I'm really thinking about doing an article like that to kind of expound on that.
0: Good stuff there, sir. Um, I will be doing all the same coverage that I'm usually doing, pro wrestling, MMA,
1: everything along the lines and with the- and this this has been it been a big this has been a big week for you because you got uh you had two of the biggest pro wrestlers in the past 20 years have the number one and number two movies in the in the in the country and i have well no i
0: i just saw suicide squad a couple days ago it's actually pretty good have you seen it
1: i have not seen it yet
0: it's actually a pretty good uh movie it's not don't go into it thinking it's going to be something
1: amazing but it's it's um pretty pretty interesting i never would have thought I, I could see how the raw got in the movies. I could see see that potential in him. I never would have thought that John Cena, and I don't not say he's an award- winning actor, but he is a much better actor than I really would have expected him to be. Yeah, man, he's come a long
0: way. He um I'm, he's 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 doing a damn job. I'm, i I think he's gonna be much bigger than we thought
1: he would be, yeah, yeah. he he's a good guy, man. he he's he he I think he takes the craft seriously, and he has done very well expressing himself, in, and he's done a kind of a wide variety of roles. He started off with the typical action stuff, but he's he shown a little bit of depth. He's shown a little bit of depth that I would not have expected based off of what I've seen from him as a wrestler. You know, he's not... Based on what I've seen from wrestler, I, I wouldn't have expected him to be able to act. Rocky, yeah. John Cena is a pleasant surprise.
0: Good stuff there, sir. Well, we'll be back here next week, man. I appreciate your time, Schwan, and everyone, stay safe. Have a good weekend. And um, let's do our thing. Other get get vaccinated, everybody, so we can get out of this shit. Please. All right. Have a good night, everybody.
1: You too, Sean. Thanks.